Hello everyone and welcome to episode 14 of Lessons Learned. I'm Dylan and I'm Evan and today we're going to be talking about events that have the capacity to threaten the integrity of the known. Let's get started. All right, so we're th we're there's things that are threatening the integrity of the known. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I I have a guesstimate as to where you're taking this, but I'm very curious where Jordan Peterson's going with it. Yeah, it's a good section. Um, before we get before we deep dive into that, I just want to summarize the bit of the introduction that we didn't get last episode. Okay, just so that we're all on the same page. Okay. There's not too much, but I wanted to point out that he shows in that section that the moral code, the explicit moral code is validated by reference to the religious or mythic narrative, which is what we've talked about multiple times, how yeah. you can't have a moral code without, like, religion or something. Right, without, like, a faith of some type. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because well, it, it can't justify itself. It needs right. something outside of it. And we talked about how, like, secular culture has its own religion in of itself. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, constantly changing because there isn't, like, an above-all faith and yeah. system. It's just kind of, like, to the individual, which leads it to rabbit hole down so many different things. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, he talks about that, and then he talks about how there's... um. The most profound threats to that moral code or that stability or that culture mm -hmm. um, are threats that encompass the largest number of people that have the deepest historical roots and are most completely grounded in image and behavior um, and are most broadly applicable. Okay. So he's starting to work us towards the idea of different forms of threats that can be uh, <clears throat> put against culture okay. or tradition yeah 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 or value systems so uh what he says is uh anom the word he uses is anomalies mm -hmm. so he says anomalous events share capacity to threaten the integrity of the known to disrupt the familiar and explored um he says that there's four types of these so one is through rapid natural environmental shift independent of human activity mm -hmm. uh Two, through contact with a heretofore isolated foreign culture. It's okay. so like an introduction to a foreign culture. Yeah. Three is through the application of novel revolutionary ideas. Um, and four is a consequence of revolutionary heroic activity. So today we're going to try to get through the rapid natural environmental shift mm -hmm. and the contact with an isolated foreign culture. Okay. I'm okay. I'm very interested in where this is going. It's a good section. Okay. Awesome. 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 So the first one he labels the strange. Okay. And then the next one is the stranger mm -hmm. and then the strange idea mm -hmm. and then the revolutionary hero. So we'll start with the strange transformation of environmental circumstances as a consequence of purely natural causes constitutes the single most immediately evident cause for the deterioration of cultural stability. And so this would be the form of like an earthquake, a flood or whatever, all these huge natural disasters yeah. like Pompeii. Mm -hmm. um, what these do is 
destroy all stability in culture. Right. Because, like, well, I guess it's pretty self-evident, but they should right. like, destroy it. Yeah, well, because, I mean, if you're... Everybody has an economy of some type. Mm-hmm. So if if the factory that makes the products that keep the economy going gets destroyed, the economy stops. I mean, everything stops. Right. The economy stops, and who's paying the people to run the economy who, you know... Yeah, I mean, it destroys everything. Mm-hmm. And then you base it... I mean, like... And I feel like in extreme situations with a natural disaster, you'd almost have to restart your civilization. You know what I mean? Like, granted, like, with the U.S., uh, uh, it, it would probably take the uh, the super volcano that's under Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have to go to really make the U.S. restart in regards to natural disasters, that is. Sure. Um, because, you know, at that point, it's like half your leaders you know your politicians maybe they're wiped out maybe they're hiding on in, in you know safe houses or or wherever they put the president and you know the cabinet and stuff but mm-hmm. i mean you know the people which is like what the country's founded on it like they're wiped out so like you gotta start from ground one because right who's building your house well no one because they're dead or most of them are dead or they're building their own house or safe haven mm-hmm. or something well, where is the food? Well, the farmers are worrying about themselves. So it's like everybody's got to learn how to be like self-sufficient again. And that's why I'm like a huge proprietor of like you ought to be self-sufficient to like a certain degree. Yeah. I'm not saying own, you know, 200 acres to just grow corn. Like if you want to be a farmer, you know, to each their own. But I don't think you need, you individually need to do that. But I think you should know how to like garden, you know. Sure. I think you should, like raising chickens is pretty easy. I think like that's a good starting point, mm-hmm. at least in regards to like understanding how that works and being able to live self-sufficiently. You know, well, I mean, like my family had chickens, but we didn't have like cows and pigs and stuff, but we had meat birds and we had hens and we had eggs and stuff and we had a little garden for a little bit. So mm-hmm. it was like we were I know how to be self-sufficient, relatively speaking. It's not perfect. But it's enough that it, I'd have a foundation if everything went yikes. Right. And the government's limited in what it could do in something like that. Well, if I it's know destroyed. That, well, like, if the western half of the United States or something like that mm-hmm. was completely destroyed, even if Washington, D.C. still survived, the government isn't... While it is designed to help people in natural disasters, it's definitely not to that degree. So right. it would require like drastic change and some sort yeah. of reformulation of the government. Well, I mean, yeah, I think with our current government and the current climate of like society, so not even just picking on the people in office, but picking on like the societal outlooks that the general populace has, I think our government would have to be reformed. Because there's no shot that the current politicians are capable of handling that situation without, like, lying to us or hurting us or, you know. Well, and I think no matter who it is, I don't think that they could do that right. in a successful way if it's something that drastic. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a couple politicians, at least you know more than I do, but I think there's a couple that would do pretty good with it. But even so, I think it would end up taking some more i think what would happen is you'd see a lot more common folks step up and be like all right you're not doing anything we're stepping in to fill this void Mm -hmm. because you're not taking anything into consideration sure i could see it yeah 
So speaking of dealing with the disaster, then mm-hmm. um, next he says, "When it when is a disaster not a disaster? Okay. When the community is prepared to respond appropriately. Conversely, any minor change in the natural world that might be regarded as terminal, catastrophic, and actually be so, when the adaptive structure designed to fit that world has become so authoritarian that any change whatsoever is reflexively deemed forbidden or heretical." So he's saying a natural disaster is only a disaster if the community isn't prepared to respond to it. Right. It's much less of a disaster if, you know, New Orleans is prepared for a hurricane. Yeah. And they can respond quickly. I mean, I I, I picked the big extreme, the Yellowstone volcano, and mm-hmm. I still stand by that because, like, I mean, there's really only so much you can pre- pre- prepare for that mm-hmm. next to... Because I don't, because we studied that a lot in Michigan for some reason, the super volcano in Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. I was freaked out for like a year and a half. I was like really jittery about it. But I mean, that's a global thing. The ash would be global, right? So it's like the only prepared preparedness you could have for that situation would be to take the people and shoot them off to you know not Earth. Mm-hmm. Whether that's like living in a space station or on Mars or you I think know, whatever, the idea like is it would create a new ice age, right? Yeah, well, because the ash would cover the like it'd go into the atmosphere and it'd, there'd be no sun, mm-hmm. so it'd create another ice age essentially. Yeah, because there'd be just so much ash. And like humans are incredibly resilient, I think we could get through it if we had enough time and the technology specifically to prepare mm-hmm. for that, but like. I mean, if we're talking about Ice Age, we're talking about, like, 24-7, 365, sub-zero temperatures, hardcore all the way. Right. Like, that's not easy to survive. No. I mean, isn't it, like, negative 4, like, negative 40 degrees, and if you're outside for more than 15 minutes, you'll start getting frostbite, like, on any exposed skin? Yeah. Imagine if it's, like, negative 60 all the time or worse. Right, yeah. It would be not fun. So we would, I think the best thing to do would be to shoot everybody into space on mm-hmm. what, but then like, how do we can't prepare for that? Or at least as, as far as we know, there's no technology that we have to genuinely prepare for that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I would disagree to the extent that there's some things that we just can't prepare for. Like sure. we just can't. Well, and I think the point of this section also is to say with the minor change in the world, Mm-hmm. Um, a minor change can become a huge deal. Yeah, if the the acting culture or whatever or government or whatever it is isn't willing to change at all. Yeah, because it's like we talked about either last episode or the one before that. If you don't face the problem, it will make itself evident. Oh yeah, what's well, like the the dragon series we talked about at church? Mm-hmm. You have a little dragon, which for those who don't go to our church. I assume most of you, uh, it, it's like a, a little problem, like your own little demon, you know? And the idea is that if you ignore it, if you're passive about your dragon, it's just going to grow. So if, yeah, I mean, if, if your Florida's prone to hurricanes and Florida doesn't do anything to prepare for hurricanes, every little hurricane is going to be a massive problem. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so a good example I thought of this was the King of Rohan in Lord of the Rings, mm. the old one. Or not the king, I guess he's the steward of Rohan. 
because there was no king until Aragorn. But Oh, okay. Wait. Brohan? Yeah. With Minas Tirith? Minas Tirith, whatever? The one where the king was under uh, Saruman's possession? No. No? Okay. We just watched the oh, entire wait. Lord of the Rings trilogy. I had it wrong. I was, I was right. You were right. I was thinking of Gondor. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm that... right, everybody. Yeah. This nerd... Thought he could one up me. We just watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy like Unless, last week or something, and I'm right. I guess they're both. Maybe I was thinking of Rohan because mm-hmm. they're both true. They're both to follow like Jordan Peterson's great tyrannical father idea. Mm. They're both these tyrannical kings that sure. are willing to change with the time at well, the expense of their people. And the only reason I would defend Rohan's king is because he was under the control of Saruman. Right, but that's even better because then he is explicitly under the control of an evil thing and that's why he's being tyrannical. Mm. I get what you're saying. Which is why that's even more dangerous. And if you don't watch Lord of the Rings or know what we're talking about, I'm kind of sorry, but I watched it so you should watch it. It's very good. It's fine. It's been out for like 20 years yeah so you honestly should watch it it's not like we're giving you spoilers no but yeah i think that's a really good example because there's and that's something he talks about in the book as well is really obvious Mm. threats that people just or changes or whatever it is that people don't adapt to Mm -hmm. they just like ignore it and that's super obvious especially with the steward of gondor yeah because there's literally orcs and stuff coming well and i would also argue the same thing for the king of rohan after he gets free of control mm. because he was like i'm i was under control i was under this evil spell and now i'm aware of it so i'm gonna not do the thing i ought to do and just go to helm's deep yeah and and run away and lock myself in a fortress that is mm-hmm. most definitely going to collapse and right. fall to battle because and that like he ignores potential technological advancements mm-hmm. with the whole bomb blowing up the wall thing. Um, like yeah. he's like, the walls are never going to fall. We've yep. done this many times before. Yep. So it'll always work. Yep. And that's like tradition's great. And it's there for a reason. Like there's a reason we keep like the constitution. There's a reason we ought to like just stick true to the constitution instead of making all these changes and stuff. But at the same time, the times change Mm -hmm. and you need to be cognizant of that. So not to say that we need to like change the constitution. That's a tradition that we need to keep true to. As a matter of fact, we need to acknowledge that times are changing and that the constitution still applies to the changing times. Mm -hmm. So like the fortress, I bet if he had prepared and considered new technology and taken the time to like prepare that fortress, he would have been better off. And, for anyone that really likes Lord of the Rings and has read the books and like Cimmerillion and stuff, we have not read those. I haven't read we are, anything. I've read The Hobbit. So we're going off <clears throat> the movies. So we apologize if there is some backstory reason that is written about that we don't know. I'm not sorry. I don't. I'm a film guy. All right. That's my argument. I'm a film guy. Fair enough. That was just a disclaimer. Yeah. Disclaimer. <laughs> like when those shows start warning yeah any of the events that you're about to see are not condoned by exactly us no but like like parents like you gotta be aware that like 
technology is changing. It's not it's not the end of the world that your kid stays inside. I think you should encourage them to go outside and get fresh air and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But if your kid's like an inside nerd like I was and spends a lot of time on the computer, maybe consider this. Ask them, hey, what are you doing? Because I bet they'll talk over your head. Because mm. I know I've done that for a lot of people, even people my age. And I know there's people that talk over my head that are younger than me. So it's like the times change. Be cognizant of that. I'm I'm almost guaranteeing that unless they're just playing Fortnite all the time, they're probably going to do something that is really impressive, mm-hmm. which is something that like a lot of people didn't believe me. And then I learned how to do a bunch of like computer stuff. And I was a huge nerd about it. But nobody asked me what I was doing. And then I learned how to do it. And they're like, wait, you can do that? I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like That was like my server. I bought, I got this. For those of you that don't know what a server is, it's a giant computer. It's like a big rectangle. It's like actually like huge. Um, it's just a computer that stores a lot of things. I got that and it, like huge box, massive box, like comparable to your bed. It's huge. And my mom was like, what's that? And I was like, it's my server. And she was like, what's that? And for me, I'm like, I've done this for months. I've been researching this. I've been playing with this. And then I set it up and got it running. She was like, so what's it do? And I explained it and she was like, you can do all that? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can. New times. New times. It doesn't mean that you can't, that you should d- deny tradition because at the same time, I didn't d- d- deny the tradition that I had to work and learn and learn from people who were smarter than me, mm-hmm. which is where I learned everything from. I learned from some of my good friends who were much smarter than me and especially in computers. So there's that. Yeah. But- also things move on mm-hmm. absolutely true um way to tie it into the next quote without knowing it yes i'm prophetic guys uh the actual ideas and patterns of behavior governing adaptation must die and be reborn to ensure constant update of the techniques of survival mm-hmm. um so that's just saying that Basically, you just need to have new ideas all the time to make sure that you can survive, mm-hmm. which is pretty much what you're just talking about. Yeah. So we don't need to spend much time on that one. He also says more fundamentally, uh, the hero, the active agent of adaptation, mm-hmm. must eternally upset the protective structure of tradition and enter into sacrificial union with the reemergent unknown. Mm. So he's saying that there has to be people that are willing to somewhat leave tradition yep. or at least upset it as he says mm-hmm. there and enter into potential risky unknown in order to sponsor new things well yeah but it, it's in that exploration that you can decide whether or not that's that's a good thing mm-hmm. you know and i think I I think that's something that people are doing nowadays with the second amendment that is like oversighted very easily Mm. because if you look at the second amendment, it's just, we have the right to bear arms. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we have the right to bear arms. It's pretty much period, no exceptions. And that's, that's actually what it means. But why does it mean that? Like what? And then people are like, well, it it protect your first amendment, right? Freedom of speech. Okay. But why? And, like, if you actually look at it and understand what the Second Amendment is and does, 
It is to protect us, the people of this new country, from being controlled by anybody. We, the people, we as a collective society, dictate how the country is run. That's why we have elected politicians, right? Mm -hmm. So when people are against the advancement of guns and say, well, the Second Amendment doesn't apply to those, it doesn't make sense because now you're giving the elected officials a higher power than you, which is backwards from the whole idea behind it we are supposed to all have equal playing fields that's the entire idea everybody in government everything we're all on equal playing fields Mm -hmm. so it it's backwards that people are like no that doesn't make sense and i agree there's some bad people out there but there's bad people out there for different reasons the second amendment doesn't corrupt somebody's mind it just gives a tool for the corrupted mind to use. Mm-hmm. But if the mind's corrupted, why? Then that well, goes down a whole different problem. And here's something that I was listening to a podcast today and they brought up a good point because mm-hmm. they're all teachers. Yeah. And they were saying that something that C.S. Lewis was saying is that education is dangerous mm-hmm. because you could be arming corrupt people yeah. with ways to be manipulative. Yeah. You're giving them a very dangerous weapon yeah. in education. Um, but we would never deny anyone having an education. Mm-hmm. We just hope that they can be responsible with the tool that they've been given. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of these politicians, as like corrupt as they are, easily bribed as they are, it doesn't you know it doesn't matter who, what, when, where, how, why. Mm-hmm. But those truly corrupt individuals that are speaking on behalf of like representing a good number of people they sometimes not always actually seldomly do they but they'll sound highly intelligent they'll use big words and they'll they talk over people's heads more often than not deliberately Mm -hmm. because it's like well i don't really understood what they said but they made it sound like it was a good thing but it's like when you talk to your dog you ever notice how like you could say awful things to your dog like, oh, you're so ugly. You're the dumbest little thing I've ever seen. And they're excited because the tone of your voice matters. Mm-hmm. But you could be like, you're such a good dog. You're a good dog. And they're they're scared now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the same thing. If you're just like, oh, we're going to just we're just removing your fundamental rights because it's the best thing for you. Well, I don't really know what they said, but they said it was good for me. So I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely a weapon. It can be. I think most things are tools. Right. And it's on you as whether or not you use it as a weapon. Well, in the context that I was listening to it, they were going through a list of like the logical fallacies that you can make. Mm-hmm. And one of them had asked, like, well, can't you just use these to go and convince people to do stuff? Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You definitely can, but... When we teach this to our students, like we hope that they will choose to be good with it. Right. And that, that whole thing relies on a good foundational moral system that Mm -hmm. comes from more often than not the home. Which by the way, can be corrupted with language. Yep. So (laughs) like this is, this is exactly why I'm going to say it. It's bold. We need Christianity in our society. Mm Mm-hmm. We need Christianity in our society. We need it in our families. We need it in like individuals. Individuals need to be strong in faith. You know, young couples that are just getting married Mm -hmm. and they need to teach it to their kids. And it's not because 
oh, I think, you know, being a Christian is the best thing ever. It's literally because the morals of Christianity are coming from a perfect being who said this is true good. This mm. is truly good. This is true goodness, however you want to say it. There isn't anything beyond that. You take Christianity away, now you can start warping all of those morals because it doesn't rely on a perfect point. Mm -hmm. It relies on the individual self. Right. So then it all falls apart. So imagine if all the people that learned all those fallacies were mm -hmm. all Christians. They would never do anything bad. At least you would hope. I know we're not perfect people, but if we all lived 50% perfect Christian lives... <laughs> It'd be a lot better. We'd be in such a it's such a better society mm -hmm. but we don't and that's like a huge problem yeah good point thank I you like that thank you uh so i think i don't know why he includes <coughs> that part with the strange section natural disasters and stuff but that's all that i have for that once so you understand yeah the strange yep now it's time for the stranger okay by albert kimu just kidding. Ooh. It's a good book, though. Um, okay. The stranger does not act in the manner expected. His inherent unpredictability renders him indistinguishable from the unknown and, as such, easily identified with the force constantly working to undermine order. Mm. So I think he's trying to answer the question of why people can be wary of foreigners. Yeah. And one answer he gives here, I think he does it from a couple different views. So I'll just say one that he does here mm -hmm. is <clears throat> he's saying that foreigners are unknown mm -hmm. and something that is unknown can be potentially dangerous yeah, or undermine order as you know it. Well, if, if you're a foreigner, so i.e. coming from a different country, you have different beliefs. Right. You grew up with a different governmental system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Probably. Not to say that it depends, it's but... right. Not to say that it's either inherently right or wrong, but mm -hmm. to say that it's different. Yeah. And that you don't really know anything other than that system. But perhaps you're coming from um down south and maybe they're like I don't, I don't know how it works. You know more about politics than me. I know nothing about foreign politics, but this is my understanding. Okay. Drug cartel comes in, takes over the government. The government basically is the cartel mm -hmm. and they put a lot of people's lives in danger. So they, that's what they know. So they go, oh, well, I want to go somewhere safe and everybody's going to the United States. I want to go to the United States because if people are going there, they're going there for a reason. It's not just for kicks and giggles. It's probably a safe haven. Mm -hmm. And given how many people talk about the rights and freedoms of the United States and that like we're founded on life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that hasn't changed in over 250 years. Sounds like a good deal to me. Are we at 255? We're almost there. Yeah. It's so, going to be... 250 in 2026 oh okay oh we were at 245 not too long ago that's what i was thinking so the problem is it's not really a problem um so much as it's just you have to understand that the person coming in has a different perception of everything mm -hmm. so while they're like this place is going to be better they still only experienced one thing their whole life and you can't blame them for that we've talked about this you can't blame somebody for having their personal understanding based on experience mm -hmm. but 
That does not mean that that individual gets a free pass to try to change the system that is saving them, essentially. Right. You can't go in and change because then you're not you're changing it to not the system that's saving you anymore. You're changing it back to the system that you know, mm-hmm. which is a lot of people do it. Tradition. It feels comfortable. We want things of comfort, things that we're, we know and we're used to. But it's accepting the unknown on their behalf and knowing that it's safe. Somehow it is safe. And accepting that unknown and learning from it and taking in the new things instead of saying, well, this isn't how it was, so I'm going to change it, which reverts the safety. Mm-hmm. And that's like the huge problem. And here's kind of the other side of it, um, according to Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. as well. Other side of why it's not just a simple thing of like, we can change it. Right. He says, furthermore, the dissolution of culturally determined goals, which would for us maybe be life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Right. The dissolution of culturally determined goals renders individual life identified with those goals meaningless and unrewarding in intrinsic essence. It is neither reasonable nor possible to simply abandon a particular culture, Mm. which is a pattern of general adaptation, just because someone else comes along who does things a different way, whose actions are predicated upon different assumptions. Mm -hmm. So exactly what you're talking about is that these are two good or bad isn't part of the problem here. Right. These are two societies that have functioned completely different historically. Right. With different presuppositions. Mm -hmm. So when they merge together, that requires fundamental changes. Yeah. Which is part of the reason I believe that, and part of the naturalization process when you're becoming a U.S. citizen, you have to learn so much about the United States. Yeah. Is because there is a different history here and a different set of assumptions about the way that the world works. Yeah. And different values that we have here. Yeah. And people that are going to be here should have to learn those. Yeah, absolutely. And like, because we talked about this a while ago about how like multiculturalism is not good. Mm-hmm. You're trying to blend two different cultures. Like, you wouldn't you wouldn't go to Japan as a United States citizen and try to blend your culture with theirs. That's just exactly what you said. It's two different right ways of living. To you know, to simplify it. Well, and usually the people that do go to Japan go there to experience, experience Japanese culture. Right. So why would people coming to the U.S. or any country for that matter try to change the entire foundation of mm-hmm. that culture? That that def- that defeats the purpose, and hence multiculturalism doesn't work because you're just blending a bunch of wishy-washy ideas instead of going like nope this is the way it's been done and that's this is the way it works that's not to say it can't be influenced by other cultures right obviously i mean the most obvious example is food yeah like there's all sorts of ethnic popular foods in the united states but it's like it's not challenging the fundamental assumptions of the united states right it doesn't challenge any like foundational principles that we live under Mm -hmm. and like I think experiencing other cultures is one of the coolest things you can do because and it's a cool freedom that for the most part we have. I know some countries are very closed off to foreigners because, you know, communism and dictatorships and wars, you know, a hundred thousand reasons. But um, I mean, you know, I'm kind of geeked out about like Japanese culture because like I love Toyota because Toyota has such a small margin of error. Their, their entire society 
lives in this idea of like small margins of error. So you're near perfection. The U S has a much larger margin of error, which allows for a lot less like lower quality products. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that all U S made things are bad. It's just like, generally speaking, if you pick up a Ford truck and a Toyota truck, the Toyota is going to run longer, better, and, and you know, just more reliable because the engine's got a smaller margin of error. I think that's such a cool thing. Mm-hmm. But I would never go there and go, you guys need to change your margin of error, dude. Like, it's it's just too tight, man. You got to loosen up. No. I'm going there to experience that culture. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, I'm simplifying. There's way more. There's other things that I'm very fascinated by and I'm interested in. But as an aspect, like, I wouldn't do that. Right. And nobody should do it to us either. That's not fair to them. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it it doesn't work one way, but not the other. That's hypocrisy. That's a double standard, you know? So I just think people don't take that into consideration as much as they ought to. Right. And then, so he talks about next, what happens with the dissolution of culture. Okay. Like if you did have this merging or whatever, Mm -hmm. and here's why it can't just happen. Okay. He says, um... If the group founders, and I'll give you the definition of founders, it's to give way or collapse. Okay. So if the group gives way or Mm -hmm. collapses suddenly as a consequence of external circumstance or internal strife, the individual is laid bare to the world. His social context disappears. His reason for being vanishes. He is swallowed up by the unbearable unknown, and he cannot easily survive. Yeah. And that's why it's so important is because we as individuals or we rely on the presuppositions and assumptions that the culture of the United States or our city or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. we rely on those to make our way through the endless possibilities that are in the world. Yeah. And that the way that the world is. So if you bring in another culture and completely upheave that, everyone's going to be lost and you're going to fall into a state of nihilism and right. not much is going to matter when so many things can matter. Yeah. And it, it's just the whole, like, it doesn't work to like blend things because then you start losing its foundational purpose. Like if we just, for like a very basic purpose, mm-hmm. if we look at Buddhism and Christianity, Buddhism, they believe in Nirvana, right? So, They believe that you can reach enlightenment and you can reach nirvana. Whereas Christianity does not believe in that. Mm -hmm. We believe that you have to have faith in Christ, your savior, and you're not perfect. You're not going to reach a perfect place, but you'll be forgiven and accepted to a perfect place. So they're similar, but different. So it's like if you blend those together and you chase nirvana your whole life and then ignore the Christ part, Mm -hmm. but thinking once you reach nirvana, you'll go to heaven because you've blended these ideas you lose all meaning because that's not how it works because right. foundationally both of those don't make sense together. So it's like important that we have these separations. It's important that we have different cultures and it's mm-hmm. more than okay. I mean, and you that, shouldn't remove people's rights, but like, so that's also a good example of, and it's something we'll talk about in future episodes as well. But if you tried to take those two practices and put them together mm-hmm. in some sort of way that can function, the issue is that with Buddhism, and nirvana the whole point is that we can only know well we can't really know anything right there's no truth us thinking gets in the way of experiencing like truth mm-hmm. which is nothingness 
And so like reaching nirvana, part of that is complete meditation and removal of your own thoughts so that you can experience the world as it is. Which is like a wild idea. Yeah. But the issue is like, even if you're just trying to put those practices together, there are underlying more fundamental assumptions for why you're doing what you're doing that aren't going to work. Right. And they aren't, they're going to conflict heavily. Yeah. And then, I mean, that can apply if you were, you know, coming from a country that didn't believe in freedom of speech mm -hmm. at all. And then going to a country that was like total freedom of speech. Yeah. And you're trying to like blend them you're like, well, maybe not all speech should be free, but most speeches should be free. But then you're creating this like muddied water of like ideologies, essentially. That's like, it starts breaking down both points. Like, okay, well the reason we have freedom of speech is because nobody should be censored period. Mm -hmm. But the reason you would remove freedom of speech is so nobody can question the higher authority. If you're like, well, I think that, Nobody should question the higher authority, but people should be allowed to say what they say. It just doesn't jive. So when you censor some speech, but not all speech, you don't have any moral foot ground or any logical reasoning to come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So when like social media apps like Facebook and well, not Twitter anymore, but Facebook, Instagram, I mean, even YouTube does it and they censor people, but mm -hmm. only for certain things that don't fit their agenda. Well, it doesn't. It's not coming from a place of logic and reasoning. It's coming from a place of personal gain or gain that is, you know, paid for or something like it mm -hmm. ends up serving a different purpose, not of their own creation. Yeah. And that's how we get corruption and fishy activity. And then that goes back to like why the Second Amendment is so important, because everybody should be on an equal playing field. That's the mm -hmm. whole idea. We're all people. And especially in a country founded on Christian ideals we're all equal. None of us are above each other because God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, they are above us. And that is it. We're all the same. Mm. So if one person's got, you know, a decked out tank and a fully automatic rifle, and then Joe Schmo's got his Gramps old hunting shotgun, guess who's going to win? And that's an unfair playing field that the people in power created and convinced us was a good idea mm -hmm. so they could take away the only rights we had left. That's the whole idea. Right. Yeah. And actually the whole freedom of speech thing <clears throat> is quite the complicated issue um, with like Twitter and hate speech and all that uh, stuff. Yeah. Be and hopefully we'll get to go over that at some point because it's in, Rise and Triumph, I was reading through part of it today that was talking about that. Mm. And it's really interesting stuff, so that could be a fun cool, thing cool, at some cool. point. Um, I want to give an, one more quote about this Yeah. Um, to finish off The Stranger. Mm -hmm. He says, more abstractly, what the stranger believes specifically threatens the integrated structure of historically determined belief in general. So, the reason that the stranger threatens the structure of historically determined belief is because they have a different historically determined belief system. Right. Which is what we're talking about. Exactly. Um, but I thought that was a good way to put it. And then he follows that up with, this does not present a problem when his foreign actions or ideas do not produce fundamental conflict mm -hmm. or do not threaten key beliefs. Uh, when the basic concepts are threatened, however, the unbearable, terrible unknown once again rises up 
and once firm ground begins to give way. Yeah. And I think I'd have to do more research about it because I've only done, I've only read about it a little bit, but I think that that's something that happened quite a bit in Europe. Okay. Is with the mass amounts of immigration and stuff like that. Um, it really challenged the idea of who they were, like who these countries are. Mm. Um, especially I think when they were more than willing to accommodate those people and change their own, own beliefs. Yeah. Without recognizing what that would mean for them. Right. And like, that's just why, that's just why when you go to a different country, you just got to accept that you, you decided to go to a different country Mm -hmm. and trying to uproot that country is a hundred percent contradicting the very reason you chose to go to that country, Mm. which is, I would argue just straight hypocrisy from your behalf. Like there's no other way to look at that. There isn't like a nice way to put that. Well, and I mean, even, even if you said you were going to another country to seek safety and asylum, Mm -hmm. you're going to that country because they are different and offer that safety and asylum that your country did not. Right. So why would you try to uproot the values of that country and change it Mm -hmm. to something more familiar to you? Right. And well, and to be fair, the difficult thing with that is just like the country you're going to has its own set of beliefs. Mm-hmm. You also do. Yeah. And that's not to say that you shouldn't try to fit into the country that you're going to, but it is extremely difficult to make some of those fundamental changes yeah. in yourself. But it, th- so now you're, now you're in a game of weighing the pros and cons and, and do you want to go to this country? Do you want to seek safety and asylum for the exchange of changing some of your ideals or just accepting that there's going to be very large discrepancies mm-hmm. in your life from now on? But like, you know, life-threatening situations versus safety and asylum, but you're giving up that people agree with you to get safety. Yeah. But if you don't like that so much, then live in the unsafe environment. Like that's a free choice that you have as an individual. Like the the point of the United States is that we have birth rights. Mm-hmm. And those birth rights come from God. It's It's a, the United States, the entire thing was founded on Christian values. There's a quote from a founding father that I'm paraphrasing, but it says that this country is founded on Christian values. And if the country strays from those Christian values, it it will fall apart because the whole premise is that we have birth rights. It's not that we deserve them or their privileges. No, they're actual rights from God, from Christ, and that he died for those rights. So if you don't believe that you have those then you're going to disagree with the foundation of the United States. And then you you need to accept one of two things. One, you shouldn't live in the United States. Mm-hmm. Or two, that people are just going to disagree with you. And it's not your place to change that because you're uprooting the foundation of a country, which it's that's not the point. The point of the, the country's founding was because it was different than another country. Because if it was the same, you just merge countries. And... Or it is just the same country, you know? What's interesting is a lot of the early, some of the founding fathers at the time were theists. So they believed in a God. Okay. But not necessarily the Christian God, but they they did still heavily rely on those principles. Yeah. And that's because they came right after the Enlightenment. Right. Um, The tail end of that, which, you know, the point of the Enlightenment was to 
take the morals that Christian Christianity offered and sever them from God. Mm. Um, and I think that that's silly. That was kind of, I mean, that's where a lot of the natural rights stuff comes from mm-hmm. is the, just that everyone has these rights, but that idea was originally Christian. Yep. Um, that you're just born with rights, but I don't know. It's really interesting, but at the very least they were theist. Interesting. So they believed in a God. Mm. And I know that I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, but I th- maybe it was Thomas Jefferson had like a Bible mm-hmm. that he kept with him at all times or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely, re- they were religious. Yeah. There's religious roots to the country. Um, yeah. And even if you don't want to be religious now, you can't, as we will learn in later episodes, you can't remove Christianity without drastic consequences. We're, and we're already seeing those consequences. Yeah. But absolutely. We won't further discuss yet another rabbit hole as we're going to wrap up this episode. Is mm-hmm. there anything else you want to add or close with? I'm good. All right. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I did that laugh again that I did in the last episode that I didn't like. Good job. Oh, I'm such a fool. Well, thanks for watching this episode of Lessons Learned. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something new out of it. Definitely was a good discussion. It felt like a good discussion. Um, very, very interesting topics we're discussing. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to keep going with this. Yeah. It should be fun. Yeah, for the next either episode or two episodes, we'll be talking about the strange idea. He spends quite a bit of time on it. Mm, Um, But I think it'll be kind of two main sections. So we'll see if that turns into one or two episodes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for watching. And we hope to see you uh, next week for that'll be episode 15. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your day or whenever you watch this. And we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.